and turn back to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I've entitled this message, God Sent Forth His Son, Part 1. And to be honest with you, I said this week, I, I, I tell you what, I have read so much information, it's almost information overload, that's what it is, it's too much. I have access to too many good commentaries with too much information, too much time on my hand, as I sit there and I read this information and it's all so good and all so encouraging, I want everybody to hear it. If I put it all down there, it'd be a sermon of war and peace, what it'd be every Sunday. I can't do that. And I just refuse to do that. And I sat there all week long. I, I got the introduction to this message written back like Tuesday of this last week, Wednesday. And I sat there all week because I, I, I became convinced the more I looked at these verses that we're going to look at over the next two weeks, verses 4 and 5, I became convinced that, that we put way too much emphasis, we put way too much emphasis on the fact that we've been redeemed. While it's extremely important that we've been redeemed, the emphasis in these verses that we're going to look at is not on the fact that we've been redeemed. You know what it's put on? It's put on the one who did the redeeming. All the emphasis is put on the cost of redemption and the effect of redemption and the deliverance of all God's elect, all his sons and daughters. Christ said this, and I, I keep this in my mind as I'm trying to write a message. Christ said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. Who are we to exalt? The person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what the Apostle Paul said, he said to those at Corinth, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. That's his person. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And him crucified. That's his work. Both are important. Paul spoke of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is our Redeemer in this fashion. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Where's the glory of God say? In the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul's made it clear throughout this entire epistle that the purpose of God's law was never, was never to cause God's chosen people among national Israel to look to the law and to their performance of that law is any hope or cause of their justification and salvation before God. But he's made it clear, particularly at the end of chapter 3, that the law was a schoolmaster or a tutor or a teacher or an instructor for a set period of time to bring them where? To Christ alone is the only hope and cause of justification. He said, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but he's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. That's where we left off last Sunday. And the question is this, and this is what we're going to begin to deal with this morning. How long was God's church among national Israel under tutors and under governors and in bondage with the elements of this world? How long? Well, Paul answered the question until the time appointed of the Father. Now look at at our text for today. Look at verse 4, opening phrase of chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come. I, t- I sat right there looking at that for a long time. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. I wrote this opening statement. From the very beginning of time, the entirety of human history has been waiting for the manifestation or the revealing of God's Son, the Savior and Redeemer of His chosen people. You think about it. All God's redeemed have been looking for and longing for the same thing. What? The manifestation or revelation of the promised seed. And they've been looking for it since God first promised it back in the garden. Here's the promise, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed, and this is so important in light of what we're going to talk about this morning. Thy seed, and not Adam's seed, her seed. It, her seed, bruise your head. And you, you'll bruise his heel. And I thought about this. Eve expressed that hope. She was looking for it at the birth of her first son. Listen to this. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And bare Cain and said, this is what Eve said when she got Cain. I have gotten a man from the Lord. Was it the promised seed? No. No, it was not. Matter of fact, this one she thought was the man that she'd got. What did he end up being? Listen to old Simeon. We always talk about him at Christmas time. Old Simeon said, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, the same man, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death. How long? Before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What was he looking for? Every moment of his life, what was he looking for? The Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, 
which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Abraham longed to see his day, our Lord said, and he saw it. And what did he do? He rejoiced. This revelation by God's, of God's Christ, folks, it happened at exactly the appointed time, the purpose time of the triune God, but when the fullness of time was come. Not one moment before, not one moment too late. Christ being sent into this world by the Father and actually coming in time, it wasn't an afterthought and it wasn't a plan B come up with by God to remedy what man had made, done wrong. When the fullness of time was come, when every preparation had been made which appeared necessary to infinite wisdom, what did God do? God sent forth his son. It's exactly the right moment. Made of a woman. Made under the law. And this is where I get into so, so much information. I, I, I think my favorite and it, it shocked me. One of the better, I was telling Bill this week, one of the better commentaries I've ran up on on, on uh, the book of Galatians. It shocked me to death when I started reading his words because I have a lot of problems with a lot of things the guy said. John Calvin's commentary on Galatians, particularly these verses, is absolutely wonderful. But still my favorite is, is Mr. James Haldane. And James Haldane wrote on this phrase, God sent forth his son. He said this, listen. I, I, and this is so important. Adam is called the son of God. For he was created in the maker's image. Israel is called the son of God. For their carnal relation to him. On whose account they had been separated from every other nation. Believers are described as sons of God. From their spiritual relation to him who dwells in them by his spirit and in whom they are created anew. But Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, God's own Son. And as really partaking of a divine nature as a child partakes of the nature of its Father. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. Every name and title which belongs exclusively to the Almighty. Now listen, every name and title that's given exclusively to the Almighty God is given to him. So that it has been well observed that if Jesus be not God over all, the scriptures give us no revelation of God. What do we see? We see the glory of God. No man can look on God and live. But in the person of Christ, what do we see? We see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. This sending of the Son has to be considered and it has to be interpreted in light of what verse 5 teaches. The subject is brought out. To redeem them that were under the law. You think about this. The, the triune God did not place the redemption of his elect in the hands of angels. He certainly didn't place it in or you know, depended upon the free will of man. And thank God also he never conditioned it on works or obedience to the very law that he had given. 
to redeem them that are under the law, what did it require? It required this glorious person. And the Holy Spirit, by the hand of the Apostle Paul, clearly declared that Christ defined the Christ required for this everlasting work. God sent forth his son. You think about this. If God sent forth his son, now think about it. If God sent forth his son, the son existed before He was sent, sent by the Father, proving his eternal Godhead. That's why we read Proverbs chapter 8 in the call to worship. The scriptures make it very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son who was sent by the Father, was truly God, co-equal and co-eternal with both the Father and with the Spirit. Paul said this, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Folks, the immensity of the work required the one who was divine to accomplish it, seeing that man alone could never accomplish it. We sing occasionally a song that's in our little red folder, and one of the verses in it is this, Your cross, not mine, O Christ, has borne the awful load of sins that none could bear but the incarnate God. In our Lord's high priestly prayer, he said, This is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sinned. I, the Son sin, have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. In our text, Paul declares Christ is the Son of God sent from heaven. But he doesn't stop there. That same one that was sent from heaven is the same person that the Father said is, listen to this, made of a woman. Made of a woman. Meaning what? He assumed our nature. He did. Folks, think about it. Right now, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Right now, there is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high a man. A God-man. Truly flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. So what's he talking about here, made of a woman? That word made means to come into existence. It means to begin to be or to receive being. Christ's humanity didn't exist in eternity past. It did not. Christ, the eternal son, has been just that from all eternity. But there was a point in time, you know what happened? God, by his Holy Spirit, moved on the, in the womb of the Virgin Mary right and conceived in her womb that holy thing the lord jesus christ this is so important that we get this right christ's humanity 
was not was not of the seed of Adam, the seed of man, but it was the seed of who? It was the seed of the woman. Those Christ's humanity was born just like ours. He was born cradled in a manger, right? His mother had labor pains just like our mama had labor pains. She brought him forth, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. He nursed like we did. He grew like we did. He grew in wisdom and stature before God and man. His humanity grew up just like ours did. But even though that was the same with you and me, he was conceived and he was created in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, expressing the almighty power of God in this mysterious incarnation and wonderful conception in his birth. The prophet Isaiah prophesied of it. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And that son bore by this virgin, what will you call him? Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which we know from the New Testament being translated is what? God with us. But here's the thing that I find so interesting about the way the apostle stated this, being born of a, what did he say? Didn't say born of the Virgin Mary. Didn't he mention Mary? What does he say? Being born of a woman. A generic term. Woman. In other words, what? There was nothing special about Mary. She was, there, there were other virgins. I'm quite certain Mary wasn't the only one. But this particular one was chosen by our God. Not because of anything foreseen in her. As if there was something special about her that she would be the one that had did something immaculate that would deserve her being the one that bore the Lord Jesus Christ. He moved Paul to speak of her in this manner, made of a woman. You think about it, the miracle of Christ's incarnation and conception had absolutely nothing to do with Mary. But it had everything to do with the necessity of his sinless humanity being brought into existence. Men have been so caught up with Mary as if she has some sort of saving power or efficacy. But you know what? We know that she needed redemption. She needed salvation just like you and me. She was a sinner by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice. And I also find it interesting. Remember that time that, that she was before our Lord and that people approached her, came to Mary? Because you know, the, the Catholics say, what do you, to get to Christ, where do you go? You go to Mary. They came to Mary and said, we're, we're out of wine. Talk to your son. And he, she approached him and said, they're without wine. This is, listen to how our Lord responded to her. Woman, what I have, have I to do with thee? One time she desired to speak to him. He was speaking, preaching the gospel, talking to his children inside a room. They sent messengers inside. Your mother's outside, wants to speak to him. He didn't even come out. Doesn't even send a messenger out and say, I'll talk with her later. He turns to the group and he says, Who is my father? Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? Those that do the will of my father which is in heaven. Mr. Gill wrote this on this passage being made of a woman. He said, whose seed he was from the beginning said to be of a woman without a man, of a woman 
a virgin, as was foretold and prophesied. And not only made and formed in her, but of her. Of her flesh and of her blood, of which he took part, and which denotes the low estate and great humiliation of Christ. And this is the one that got me, and shows that his sin came into the world by, who, who, who did it start with? By a woman. How's it going out of here? By a woman. The same way. But Paul pointed out something else concerning this one who came in the fullness of time. He was sent forth his son, made of a woman. Here we go. Made under the law. Made under the law. This statement's a reference all the way back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, where Paul wrote, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Christ, the eternal Son of God, who could rightfully claim to be exempt from every sort of subjection to any of the law, seeing he was the one who wrote the law, he willingly became subject to the entirety of the law. Folks, this is not talking about the ceremonial law only. It's not talking about the civil law. It's not talking about the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Not talking about the priesthood by itself. He became subject to what? Every single solitary part of it. So the question is this. Why was the Lord Jesus Christ, why did he become willingly subjected to or put under the law, made under the law? Here's why. Christ became subject to the law in our place and in our stead as our substitute, our surety, in order to obtain freedom for us. In our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Christ said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy. I am come to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Folks, our Lord Jesus Christ didn't only perform one or two works of the law. That is to say, he wasn't just circumcised. That was part of the law. He wasn't just presented in the temple like they brought him up to Simeon. Or he did just go up to Jerusalem at the appointed times. I think there was three of them, three times a year, three feasts a year. That Every male had to go up. He went up religiously. Or only lived a civil, moral life according to the law. Christ suffered, listen, he suffered all the tyranny of the law. And that's what it is. It's tyranny. You say, oh, no, no. Listen, it's called the law of sin and death. It's called the ministration of death. It's said that it gives power to sin. And our Lord Jesus Christ came under the entirety of its tyranny. Paul, Paul already said that this glorious person of whom he's writing of here in the previous chapter, he said that this glorious person was made a curse for us in its entirety. See, Christ wasn't made a teacher of the law. He wasn't. But he was an obedient disciple of the law 
that by his obedience unto death, he might redeem those who themselves were under the law. Let me read you a couple more passages and we'll quit. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of perdition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in his one body, uh, to, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, having slain the enmity thereby. He came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. In other words, to the Gentiles and to the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit into the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of, the God, of God through the Spirit. He wrote again in Colossians chapter 2, And you being dead in your sins, and the trespasses of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he hath made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. And even Peter, Peter wrote this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, bearing all the guilt, penalty, and condemnation of our sin, but quickened by the Spirit. Folks, our comfort and our security as sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and even by choice can never rest on the arm of the flesh or our obedience to the law, but on him who alone who mag came to magnify the law and make it honorable. I always try to keep this verse to the forefront of my mind. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now we've talked about the glorious person of our Redeemer this week. Lord willing, next week we'll come back and we'll talk about the work that he accomplished and the effect of that work that he accomplished. Let's stand together. And we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep till we see you next Lord's Day. Donald, if you would, lead us in closing prayer, please.